ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مذل له ومن يذلن فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن خير الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهادي هادي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم شر الأمور محدثاتها كل محدث بدع كل بدعات دلالة كل دلالة النار الحمد لله We begin in the name of Allah, we praise Him and we glorify Him, and we bear witness that there is none worthy of worship except Allah. And we are grateful unto Him that He has enabled us to come together from time to time, and that He has put friendship in our hearts for each other, so that together we can realize His worship in the correct manner, with the correct beliefs and thereby fulfill the purpose for which we have been created. And in doing so, we hope and pray for Allah's guidance, and we seek victory from Him, and we ask Him to protect us from our enemies, both whom we know and we don't know. And we understand that when we all hold fast together to what Allah has given us, what He has revealed, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, both of which are revelations from Allah, that when we all hold fast together to His revelation, we are blessed, we are made stronger, and we are better protected from the evil influences. We are then able to be happy, we are able to avoid being defeated and being under humiliation, as seems to be the case with most of us nowadays. We also bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his final messenger. We are concerned that we don't know enough about Islam, but inshallah our concern is not that we don't want to know. We all of us, we want to know about Islam, and that would inshallah see to it that the other concern would be lessened. Muhammad sallallahu has delivered the message in his completeness, he has fulfilled his trust, and nothing has been lost. Allah has guaranteed in the Qur'an, in Surah number 15, in Surah Al-Hijr, verse 9, that He has revealed the revelation, the remembrance, and He is going to preserve it from any type of corruption. And the remembrance is the remembrance of the message. And the message is the Qur'an and the Sunnah. The Sunnah is the way of Muhammad, وسلم, the way that he understood to follow from what was taught to him, by Allah for inspiration and by Jibreel that came down, actually came down just like he came down with revelation to teach him. The way to fulfill what Allah has dictated in the Quran. If we can remember what we have said so far as the backdrop to our talk, uh, talk today, we will, under, we, we will understand what Ibn Qayyim Rahimullah is trying to say here. This essay is taken from a book written by a great sheikh, a great scholar of Islam who lived between the years 691 and 751 Hijrah 
roughly about 700 years ago. He was one of the greatest scholars that ever walked on the face of the earth, and his teacher was the renowned Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. Just to give us an appreciation of Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, we'd just like to mention that this great scholar was someone who had given his life to revive the way of the Prophet His aim and objective throughout was to hold out to the people what Allah has said, what the Prophet has said, and how the best of the people, the companions, accepted that message. He had memorized the whole Qur'an, which is not something very incredible. Many people do that. But he was able to recollect at his will, inshallah, the relevant verses to any topic that was under discussion. Not only that, he had also memorized the so-called six books of Hadith. And the fatawa that he wrote, Majmu'atul Fatawa, which is in 30 volumes, was done in prison, where he had no access to his books. Eventually, even his writing materials were taken away, and he, he scratched what he meant and what he wanted to write on the walls. This was his scholar, whose, whose student was Ibn Al-Qayyim, who then refined many of his works and completed much things left unfinished. In his famous book, translation is, The Relief from the Traps of the Devil for the One Who Is in Need, mentions why. Why does the believer think that he is oppressed and humiliated? That is a common observation. We don't need to, to open up the news channel to hear it, to know about it. We just know. All of us know, at different levels, that indeed the Muslims are oppressed, exploited, they are humiliated, they don't seem to have any power, they don't seem to have any say in any matter of any significance. And Ibn Tayyip deals with the reasons why the believer thinks he's oppressed and shows that the way the Muslims have understood their affairs is in itself a detriment, a hindrance, or an obstacle in its prevention from us becoming better. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us to represent what he has written in the best way, the way he intended it, the way he meant it, so that we represent it in the best form. And we ask Allah that he gives us the benefit of this talk and protects us from our desires, from our deviations, and prevents the speaker from making mistakes which could be fatal. Every action, he says, is based upon two things. We are Muslims. We, we, don't really, we don't really care very much whether we are scholars or not. We are Muslims. That's what matters to us. We have accepted the Qur'an, we have accepted the messengership of Muhammad وسلم, and we want to be better Muslims. While we are striving to be better Muslims, we may, some of us, become scholars, some of us wouldn't. But all of us would be useful, acceptable Muslims. And that is good. So we want to make sure that we understand why we do things, our actions. We are living people, not dead, we are not vegetables, we act. We get up in the morning, we go to the toilet, we have done something. We brush our teeth, we have breakfast, we walked out of the house, we drove our car, or we read the Quran, we prayed, and we gave the hour to someone. All of these are actions. And we must understand that, that every action has two, is based upon two things. The love for such an action and the willpower to do it. We may not think so. And for actions which are trivial, like drinking water or looking at the time. But really, we have a need to look at the time, so we fulfill it, and we do that, 
We do that because we have the resolve, determination, to turn my head, focus my eyes upon the watch, to return my wrist and read the time. So every action has these two things, whether great or small, every action. I'm thirsty, I will drink water, which is the case now. But no matter how much I'd love to drink water, if I just sit there, I don't have the willpower to do it, I wouldn't drink it. It just wouldn't happen. Let's also understand this then first. Love for such an action and willpower to do it. The person likes to do something, why? Because it gives him something in return. When I do something like I drink the water, what did I experience? A quenching of the thirst, inshallah. Or just the satisfaction of the water trickling down my throat, whatever. In other words, I had quenched my thirst adequately or not, I had experienced something. The success of maybe having being able to pick up the glass of water, that's trivial. But think of something big now, being able to establish an Islamic school. Or more than that, actually to establish the power of Islam as an Islamic state, where the Muslims are strong, with a strong army, they can defend themselves and go out and carry the battle on to the enemy. Whatever level though, we like to do things because with it comes an experience, a result, a feeling. So a person likes to do something because he likes to achieve the delight of the success with it. The success of the delight. And, and he likes to avoid things because what comes with those actions is pain or discomfort. You know, bad feelings. Torment. He likes to avoid them. So let's stop and ask ourselves, we do so many things, what are we trying to achieve? What, are we, what is really our true concept of happiness, or delight, or success. Is it momentary successes, momentary, you know, small, regionalized affairs, like, oh, I drank the water, I'm happy now, that's it. Are our success measured in terms of this mundane, common, day-to-day -day affairs, like drinking water, having a nice meal, possessing a nice car? Or is it really in terms of an overall, deeply embedded awareness of full satisfaction, as peace, with Allah and with His creation, with assurance that in the day, on the Day of Judgment I'm going to be, inshallah, delivered from the fire, I won't even have to enter it, and I'll end up with the unending happiness in paradise, where I get whatever I want. If you want horses, you get horses and more than that. If you want cars, you get cars and more than that. Can you say that? Yes, we can. How can you say that? Because our Prophet has said so in Habib in Bukhari, and someone actually asked him, will we get horses? And he said, you will get whatever you want, you will get that and much more. So whatever we love, we want, we will have in paradise, inshallah. But we have to stop and take stock of ourselves. What do we want? What is happiness? Jibbal Kayyim maintains that the children of Adam, that is all human beings, fall into two major kinds of ignorances regarding these matters of Jalla, delight and success. Firstly, their corrupt ways, their wrongful ways which they have taken to be their religion the way of life. way of life which they think is that which makes Allah happy or satisfies Allah that you have been obedient to Him. And secondly, their attachment to this world. All of this is a result of understanding what is in the revelation, Quran and the thousands and thousands of hadith. Two things then are corrupt ways. Look at ourselves. We do so many things. We are Muslims. By definition, a Muslim is supposed to be representing Tawheed. He's representing to the people. He's a witness. But in his heart, in his heart as well as to the people. He's representing, look at me, when you see me, when you talk to me, 
you know you're talking to someone who is an owner of Tawheed, that I am worshipper of the one Allah in the correct way, in the correct beliefs. So if you and I are sincere to ourselves, honest to ourselves, we will know how woefully inadequate we are in this representation. We do for sure so much. We perhaps just invent excuses and maybe sometimes we try to find justified. But at the end of the day, we know that so much we have done today, and such a lot of that was not really to make Allah happy, and deliberately against the Sunnah, wasn't really to, you know, according to Islam. So all actions of she taken by children of Adam are either taken to be religion or not religion. We are Muslims, we take them to be religion. Because Islam has catered for every single aspect of life. We know that. From going to toilet, to sleeping with your wife, to you know, what you eat, what you don't eat, to killing, to building, to making, to destroying, everything is covered in Islam. We know that. Whether we know how or not, but we know that. Because Islam is a complete way of life. We say that, everybody says it. So we take it as a religion. So, either this religion that we have taken for ourselves represents the truth, or it does not represent the truth. Very logical thing, this process. Either it represents the truth, or it doesn't represent the truth. Either my actions and my words and my feelings, my beliefs, are truthful, or they are truthful mixed with error and falsehood. So what, what is the conclusion then? The conclusion then is, the believer knows for a fact that the only way to achieve all-round success, delight, is by following the true religion. You and I can't be Muslims if we say it's okay to be following any religion. You know, no matter how large our hearts are and how, how much we love people and you know, love humanity and so on, in the end, I know and you know, if you say Hinduism is okay, Christianity is okay, it's alright for you to be a Buddhist, it's okay for you to be a Hare, Hare Krishna man, then we are not Muslims. It can't be. So whether we are ignorant or not, whether we are sinful or not, we do know this fact though, that the true complete success is only in terms of following the true religion. The true religion. So we ask Allah for it. We know Islam is the true religion. We have believed that the Quran and the Sunnah are from Allah. We may not know very much about them, but we do believe the Qur'an is from Allah. No one of us doubts whether the Qur'an is from Allah or not. So that Islam is the true religion. So we ask Allah. We ask Allah five times a day, if we are praying five times a day, in every rakah, every rakah, we, we recite Surah Al-Fatiha. We recite Surah Al-Fatiha. What do we ask Allah for? We say, إِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاتِ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Guide us to the straight path. So we know what we want. We want the straight path which gives us Adherence to the true religion. So what do we associate that with? True religion. Imagine now, if I keep on asking someone for something, time after time, and he fulfills my request, but when he gives it to me, I don't take it, I become as a fool. And the person who keeps on fulfilling my request would be a fool as well. If I ask Adam, get me a glass of water, and he gets me a glass of water, I just leave it. I asked him for something, he gave me a glass of water, I didn't drink it. Fine. Maybe I don't want to drink it now. I asked him again, and again, and again, five times a day. After five days, there's 25 glasses of water sitting there. I haven't drunk it. I probably dead by then. The same thing. We are asking Allah five times a day, Ihdinah Sirat al Mustaqeen. We are asking Allah for guidance. Hasn't He guided us? Didn't the messenger come? 
Does he know of the Prophet? Have we got a Quran in the house? Can we read Hadith? Can we go to Imams of people who know about Islam and ask them questions? It is no. There are people though, there are some people we can go to to ask questions. There are some people, whether they are Imams or not, but there are people more knowledgeable than you and me, relatively speaking, and we can go to them, we can read books and so on. The guidance is there, guidance has been given. Allah has made us be aware of the presence of the Quran and the Hadith. That's guidance. But if we don't take it, that's foolish. That means there's inconsistency. It's just that me asking Adam for water, never drink it, satisfy my need. All of us know and understand that we need guidance. We ask Allah for it, and we don't take it when it's there. So we are being foolish. And sooner or later, Allah will stop giving us things when we ask Him. He will stop guiding us. Because He will say, even though He knows, that we are not sincere in asking. It's an empty ritual. It's just something we do to satisfy being part of our culture, or because my parents will tell me off, or my friends wouldn't like it, I hadn't prayed, all sorts of things like that. That is not following Islam. That is trying to be doing something according to a culture, to belong to a club. So we associate the straight path with what? The next ayah. Sirat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim. The path of those on whom so the path of those on whom is your favor, those who experience the blessings. So we are the people who ask for this straight path, as a result of which will be the blessed people, the protected people. If we are the blessed people, the enemies can't defeat us. If we are the protected people, we, we cannot be exploited by the enemies, by the hypocrites, by the wicked ones. It can't be. So we have to know also what is that we need to avoid. What is the accountant, the other side that we need to be aware of that we should avoid. We ask the straight path, the path on whom lies your favor, your blessing. Not the path of whom. Not the path of those upon whom is your anger and who are astray. And we Muslims, we must have the courage to admit the truth in our lives. We must have the strength to hold on to what has been mentioned by the Messenger وسلم, to be facts. And then try and understand them, not contest them, not invent excuses against them, not try to feel, you know, bad about them and say, well, it doesn't seem reasonable, it seems bad, I'm, I'm, I'm shy to mention it, I feel ashamed, what will they think? We mustn't be like that. Our Messenger وسلم, has said himself, he told us, the path of those on whom is the anger of Allah are the Jews. They are the Jews who are the accursed of Allah. And we have to understand them to be so. Otherwise we become affected by them. And the path of those on whom who are astray, who lead themselves astray and the others astray, Muhammad told us that they are the Christians. He actually mentioned them to be the Christians. Whether we know it or not, from their behavior, we must know, this must know, that those are the type of people we have to be different from. We cannot let them affect us. And they are bound to affect us, influence us, unless uh, there is a shield around my heart, myself, against the influence. What is that shield? That shield is the knowledge and practice of what Allah has revealed. If I am firm upon the path of Muhammad then I cannot be judged from that path in doing things different from that. And things different from the way of the Sunnah is from ignorance. For the Jews, the Christians, and the Mushrikul in general, like Hindus and Sikhs and Buddhists and whoever, whatever you've got. 
So what does Allah say? Allah said about these people, these people who having asked for this fake path, then became, become firm, and they know this is a way of blessing, of peace, of security, and then they avoid to be like human Christians, Allah said about them, in Surah Al-Baqarah, the second surah, verse 52. And they are true great guidance from the Lord, and those are the ones who are successful. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also said in the Quran, فَمَنْ فَلَا عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَهْزَلُونَ Those who would follow my guidance, definitely they should fear not, will have no fear inflicted upon them. وَلَا هُمْ يَهْزَلُونَ And they will have no sadness. There won't be any grief. And many of us feel so strongly about the Muslim suffering. But this, 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 this feeling is imbalanced. We cry when we see our Muslim suffering in Palestine. And we feel closely identified with them when we see the children throwing stones. And we say, MashaAllah, bravo, and we support you 100%. Yeah, give it to them, so that they... We feel, we feel, this is a good feeling. We feel for the Afghan Mujahideen. We feel for the Burmese Muslims. Now we feel for the Yugoslavian Muslims. We feel. And we are really hot, sometimes get hot and say, maybe we should go there and fight for the Muslims against the enemy. But all the while though, this is imbalanced because all the while we, we know how much we have really kept away from worshipping Allah though. We felt concerned for our own kind, but we didn't feel concerned about that our kind is really based upon ourselves worshipping Allah in a common way as taught by Muhammad Sallallahu You and I, for example, are very sometimes on pray five times a day. Don't follow that which has been made worthy, compulsory. Sometimes deliberately we do that which is haram. And yet, we are ready to go and fight and shed tears and so on. But really, in the end, Muslims are, are not the people to be the ones shedding tears. Allah has not revealed Islam upon the people, so that the people who take up this deen are the ones who are going to be downtrodden. But we are downtrodden. Islam is not for the people who are to be grieving all the time. Islam has been given so we pick up the deed and we grieve and we suffer and we are exploited. This is what Allah has promised. If we are suffering, it's because something has changed within us. Nobody is saying become callous towards the suffering of the Muslims. The true believer truly appreciates the suffering of the Muslims. But we are saying, please stop being callous about being a Muslim. Be serious. No matter how little you know, you don't know anything, doesn't matter. When you know you're a Muslim, and you know Islam is your religion, you know Muslims are your people, you know who your enemies are. And be serious, pick up Quran, pick up Hadith, and follow uncompromisingly whatever is coming there, and don't listen to opinions of people, don't be swayed by emotions, follow Islam completely. So this is the naim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned. This naim of no fear, security, blessedness, happiness, this is the line we ask for. Al-Amta alayhi we ask for. And we haven't got that. <coughs> so, we see a lot of things. We look around ourselves and we see that Muslims are suffering. And we see that Kufar are doing well. The wicked people, the oppressors, the hypocrites, the deceivers, the cheaters, they seem to be making away with all the good things. They are running away with all the luxuries and comforts of this life. And they are laughing at the expense of the good people. And they are, you know, enjoying comfort at the expense of the nice people. The poor are getting poorer and they suffer, and the rich are getting richer, and they are smiling all the time at the expense of the poor people. And we feel this is unjust. How can it be so? So what do we do? We conclude. We say this must be because the Muslims are meant to suffer in this world. 
Now this is what Ibn Qayyim is saying. This is a wrong thinking. Muslims are not meant to suffer. They are not meant to be human and defeated. They are not meant to be the underdogs. Muslims are not meant to be that. That's not what Islam came for. Look at Muhammad sallallahu and the companions. All of them. Did they suffer through their lives as the underdogs? They are few, they have little resources, but they are the abalos. All the time. Because of what? Not material resources. Those are needed. But because of blessedness. Because they are helped by Allah. Allah sent angels down. You and I don't disbelieve that, but love battle and other battles. Allah sent angels down to support the Muslims to fight on their behalf. And the angels fought with their flaming swords in their hands. And with their wits and so on. The angels actually fought and defeated and killed the kuffar. So we believe this now. We believe it's our lot to suffer. We are supposed to be like this. We are humble people. You know, we should be patient. Of course we should be patient. But not patient in remaining sinful. Not patient in remaining unmoved to come back to the Quran and the Sunnah. So we hear this ayah. Look at this number of ayahs mentioned in the Quran. Allah has mentioned, That to Allah belongs the izzah, the honor, the might, the power, the prestige, and to His Messenger, and to the believers. Where is your honor? Where is our honor when they can come into our countries and do what they have to please? The Kuffar can come and do anything they like, determine our foreign policy, to how we run our country, to what we teach our children, to what we even eat sometimes. They can do what they like to us. Where is your honor? And Allah has said honor and prestige, izzah, belongs to Allah, His Rasul, and to the believer. We know it belongs to Allah. We know it belongs to Muhammad Sallallahu We know it belongs to the companions. It doesn't seem to belong to us now. And Allah Subhanahu wa said, وَإِنَّا so indeed our forces will be the overcomers. We say the Muslims are fighting in Palestine, the Muslims are doing the Muslims are doing that. How are the Muslims really fighting? Are they really fighting on the basis of Islam or have they covered many things with nationalism? Are they really fighting for many cultural reasons? For the, making the country independent? Maybe they don't want to fight because they want to establish the Sharia, they want to fight because they want to have the land and run their own country, have their own flag. Maybe. Allah said, Qatab Allahu la adlibanna ana wa rasuli. He has been ordained, that Allah has ordained that he will be victorious and his messenger. And Allah said, وَالْعَافِي وَالْمُتَّقِينَ Allah said in the Qur'an, you are not going to deny the Qur'an, I am not going to deny the Qur'an. Allah said, the blessed end, the pious end is for the muttaqeen, those who have taqwa, those who have fear of Allah, they love Allah, they have hope of Allah, and they fear his punishment. Those who worship Allah. Where is the blessed end? Every time it seems they are slipping further and further down, the you know, the the drain is getting worse and worse for us. So, what we mustn't do is start ascribing piety to ourselves. What we must do and say is, look, enough is enough. We have messed about a lot. Too much mucking around has gone on. Okay, we have our light-hearted times and serious times. Sometimes we have to be a little frivolous now and then, joke around a bit, you know. It's needed to keep ourselves sane. Otherwise, we'll really become too serious and we'll crack. Okay. But, at the end of the day again, we mustn't become people who think that they are alright. And we are suffering because we are alright. That's why we are suffering. No, we are suffering because we are not alright. Because we have let go of Islam. Because we have strayed from the straight path. Because many things we do are not according to the Quran and the Sunnah. Many beliefs we hold are unworthy of a Muslim to believe. So we mustn't give excuses like this person. When he said, he said, La yus'alu amma yaf'alu wa hum yus'alun. You know, Allah cannot be questioned, but you will be questioned. This is an ayah in the Quran, it's true. 
but he's missed the point. Another question, we tell us to pray, we pray. We can't say, but why? Why doesn't Allah pray? Why doesn't he have to pray? Why do we have to pray? We can't do that. That's how we apply the ayah. But we have to be questioned. We have to, we have to question out and say, look, we are suffering because of this problem. Ibn Tayyim then continues, he mentions that how close a person is going to be with regard to answering this problem depends on how closely he understands the names and attributes of Allah. Allah has described himself, hasn't he? We're not being asked to believe in a God whom we don't, we don't know about. What is Allah? We can say what Allah is. Allah is Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Malik, Al-Quddus, Al-Salam, Mubin, Muhaibin, Aziz, Zabbar, and he has so many 99 names he can say. So we know then, if we don't know the names and meanings of these attributes of Allah, we don't understand them, then to that extent that we are wrong, to that extent we are going to be mistaken in appreciating what's happening around us. That's the main thing to understand. And look at so many of us, there are enough Muslims, it seems, who are active, just in a number of organizations, a thousand and one organizations, that shows that there are enough Muslims active, feel for Islam, they're trying their best. They, are, they have good intentions, and they are pious, inshallah, in their intentions. But in the end, you'll find the majority of us are quite, and are quite prepared not to give importance to aqidah, to the beliefs. You know, if there are petty matters, little things to, no, forget it, it doesn't matter. You're creating, recreating old problems. You're going to rock the boat too much, you know, cause ripples in the water, you know, you like to clap it. Well, why throw stones, you know? Well, what does what it matter what he believes in? We're all working for Islamic State. We're all supposed to be working for this, working for that. So they won't talk about Allah, his sifat. Where is Allah, for example? You know, what are you supposed to believe in him? Does he come down every first part of the night or not? What is this nuzul that we have to believe in? You know? And things like that. The aqeed of Allah, they don't believe in. So you know, can you get the story? He says, look, when there are people of authority around, and the people are generally not that corrupt, they can realize how pernicious, how evil it is when someone comes along and tries to create doubts in the name and attributes of Allah. He gives an example. In the, this is a true story. There happened to be a man called Al-Jaham ibn Safwan. A person of Jaham ibn Safwan. Out of him came a sect called the Jahmiya sect. They exist in the past and reverence of them exists now. People still hold on to some of their beliefs and they don't, they're not Jahmiya maybe. For example, the Jahmiyas believe the Qur'an was, uh, was created. That the Qur'an is not eternal word of Allah. They say the Qur'an is created. They believe, for example, Allah did not speak to Musa alayhi salam. They mention the Qur'an, Allah spoke it, and they say, no, Allah did not speak to Musa alayhi salam. How can God speak? That is that's like making him like a human being. They use their so-called intelligence to deny what Allah has mentioned. Okay, they use the so-called rationalizing process, no, legal logic. Then they say, Allah did not take Ibrahim alayhi salam as Khalil. We know about this, Khalil, a special type of friend. No, no, Allah couldn't have done that, because Allah is no one. How can Allah have a friend? That means he's weak. So they use the so-called logical process, but in the end, you see this logical process, they ended up denying things in the Quran, or misinterpreting them. They're the Jahmiyyah. They were not Muslims. And Jahad al-Safwan's teacher was one called Al-Jahad in the Dirham. Al-Jahad is the one who infused in the mind of Jahad the doubts about the names and attributes of Allah. As a result of which, he ended up creating this sect which were non-Muslims. What did Ja'ad to his teacher? Al-Ja'ad in the Dirham is to take his friends, go to places where people are suffering, and say to, say to them, look, look what Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim does to his servants. Say someone suffering very bad disease. Look, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, your merciful God, 
What is done in people? In essence, what has he done? He has tried to deny Allah is Rahman and Rahim. And he has made the people have doubt about it or confusion about it. People are going to say, Allah is Rahman, then how come we suffer? Same thing that we do now. We are Muslims, Allah is supposed to be a protector, how come the Jews are taking away our land? How come we are like this now? It's because maybe we are not really the Muslims who deserve the protection of Allah. So what happened? There used to be at that time a person called Khalid, uh, Khalid ibn Abdullah al-Qusari. Khalid ibn Abdullah al-Qusari was a man of authority. It was a day of Jumu'ah, day of Eid, and um, he gave the khutbah, uh, uh, the, the day of uh, Eid al-Adha, the, the, the sacrificing animal. And he said to the people, go out and get your sheep so you may slaughter your lamb. He said this after, this is the khutbah, obviously. Go out and get your sheep to the people, so you may then slaughter your lambs. Today, I sacrifice al-Ja'ad with the dinner. And al-Ja'ad was sitting in the front row. And it's the point. That man is praying. That man is in the front row. That man is participating in Islamic conduct. But what else is he doing? He's creating doubts in the minds of people about the name and attributes of Allah. So he got down from the member, a khalid, and slit his throat. And that was his qurban. Nobody complains. And nobody said his heart and he was un-Islamic, that was rude or anything, and the Muslims understood and felt a relief. This man, although he's praying, fasting, nevertheless, he is really destroying Islam from within. How? By making people doubt about Allah Himself. What's the point of praying and fasting when your ideas about Allah are corrupt? You think Allah, for example, Christians, a Christian may come and fast. They sometimes they fast 40 days in Lent. More than 10 more than us. 40 days of Lent. My secretary, uh, in, 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 well, she does then, forty days fasting. But she believes God, you know, God died on the cross. What's the point of that fasting when you have such a corrupt belief? Same way a Muslim may think God, Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, is in this room. But Allah that we have actually worshipped is not in this room. So what's the point of fasting and praying if our Allah is in this room and Allah we may be fasting for is not here? He's supposed to be on his throne. And he is on his throne above the seven heavens. So this is, this is not academic, this is not nitpicking, this is not, you know, getting carried away with obscure issues, not reviving old issues, it's really talking about the core of Islam, the Amphila. So when people suffer a calamity, some, some problems, they say, Ya Rabbi, ma ta'ala jambi, oh my Lord, what is my sin? What have I done? Why me? Look at him. I pray, he doesn't pray. I fast, he doesn't fast. I do da'wah, he doesn't just sit in front of TV and watch his football all the day. He should be suffering, not me. Why me, Allah? As if he doesn't know. As if he's so holy, so pious, he doesn't deserve punishment from Allah. What has he done in turn? He has now in turn held a wrong belief. He's saying to Allah, that Allah is unjust. I've done my very best. I'm a good Muslim. And you're making me suffer. Therefore it's unjust. So Allah is unjust. This is a corrupt thinking. Rather we should say, I'm suffering because Allah wants me to realize my mistake and come back to the straight path. Repent come back to the state When we take that attitude, then the work becomes real, useful work. Otherwise, it's just shouting, ranting and raving, and venting anger in the street aimlessly. Let's go and a big procession against Israel, burn Israeli flags. How many of them really pray properly according to Sunnah? How many really truly love Allah and repent? If we feel remorse in their hearts, that I'm a sinful person, I need to repent. But no, the only thing they are perfect and self-made and by dint of our courage and voice and strength will defeat our enemy. That's not the way of Islam. So we'll tell you the lament this fact and say, La ilaha illallah, 
كم فسد بهذا الاقتدار من عابد جاهل how many of the servants of Allah have fallen to this corrupt way of thinking they're praying, they're fasting, they're work, they're for Islam but no, they can't even think properly so these are the two reasons why this happens firstly, he says Mahathana was my sin because he thinks he's doing quite well because his husband's done he thinks he's maintaining his family to a very high standard he can't do any better perhaps therefore, you know, it must be that we have to suffer in turn, secondly, he thinks the promises of Allah does not apply in this world. Allah's promise about Muslims being victorious, Muslims being protected, being blessed, only refers to the hereafter, not in this world. This is a corrupt way of thinking. Il Qayyim mentions, all of us know, <coughs> all of us know, that what is obligatory upon us, we have to fulfill, we have to do. There's no big deal about it. We are the Muslims, they are not. They don't have to pray. They don't have to fast. They are careful. The greatest sin and problem is that they have rejected Allah. That is the main sin, the main problem. From it stems all the other things. And they fast, I mean, I mean, they mess around, they have girlfriends, they drink wine, they go to discos, to, you know, they have incest, they have man, you know, so homosexuality. All of this is coming from one thing, rejection of Allah. That's the main, main problem. So all of them are bad, if you can limit them, good, limit them. If you can reduce them in society, reduce them. Abortions, for example, reduce abortion. But that's not what we target. Target is the people, people believe in Allah. We are the ones who say we believe in Allah, and we don't pray, we don't fast, we sometimes have girlfriends, we go to discos, we listen to stupid music, we don't want lots of other silly things. So how come? Islam is not meant to be just a lip service. We are not meant to be just because we call out as Muslims that sometimes pray, sometimes don't, automatically have a guarantee of protection from Allah. Automatically now the Muslims are not going to be downtrodden. We should always be victorious against our enemies. How come the Jews are so few of them destroy so many of us? They might have been the battle in Lebanon. You be the battle in Lebanon, where the 75. Mm. How many Syrian planes took off to, to encounter this F-14s from Camp, from Israel? Well, 120 mixed took off. How many went down? Well, over 100 went down. How many places did Israelis lose? One. Let's imagine. Over 100 aircrafts lost their dogfight, and one of them on the other side. It's not because of that, it's because you know, we don't really have faith, we don't want to practice. Uh, so, anyway. This is happening, happening. The man takes up the religion he knows the, or he compromises, and he starts, you know, giving up things. He says, oh, let me just not do that for the time being. I'll do it later. You know, I know Islam says this, but I'll leave it for the time being. I'll push it aside. Because maybe it's not so important so. If I did do it, I'll lose out. For example, the man who keeps his shop open. The Muslim man who keeps his shop open to more time. He's still buying and selling. Because if I shut my shop, my business will go down. I'm making a roaring business here, you see. Then the man who sells alcohol in his restaurant. If I didn't have it, Customers won't come, I won't be successful. His success in, in doing that is you know this thing for. He's a habit to do that is sinful. You know, if I do this, if I do that, my career prospects are jeopardized. I won't get a good job, I won't get a promotion, this and the other. As if success are in his hands. And he's forgotten, certainly forgot, success and failure are in the hands of Allah. All the affairs are in the hands of Allah. And we were meant to be firm on the path, and then we would be successful from Allah. So this compromise comes along. Because he does not listen to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
and Muhammad told us, بعد العمل بتنام كافتة عليه المسلم يصبح الرجل مؤمنا ويمسي كافرا ويمسي كافرا ويصبح مؤمنا يبيع دينه بعالم من الدنيا أبراك تولد حديث الصحيح في الصحيح مسلم إن مستدب أحمد أن تلمذي من أبو هريرة رضي الله عنه أبراك said go out and act in your religion go out and act upon your deen whatever you know he knows something You know something, at least. You know how to do wudu, maybe. Well, at least do your wudu properly. And then you let up your prayer, let up your prayer, you'll pray in one day. At least take care and do the wudu properly. You know how to say, La ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah. Well, say it once in a day, maybe sit down and say it. Think about it from your heart. There is no day to be worshipped but Allah. Say it in your heart. Properly, feel it. I am one who worships only one Allah. These people don't worship one Allah. I don't worship an idol. I'm not a Hindu. Say to yourself, you know something, It's not that it's anything. So go out and act upon your religion. Because there are afflictions like the darkest of the night when the believer will wake up as a believer and then at night will end up as a carpet and go to, and go to bed as a carpet and wake up as a believer. And this we ask, we keep an oscillating, like a pendulum between, back and forth, to and fro, between Iman and Kufr. Now I'm carpet, now I'm not. Now you see, now you don't, so I'm thinking, you know, I'm a carpet, I'm not a carpet. I'm a carpet, I'm a Muslim. When you will die, you can die at any time. Supposing you die at that instant when you are not a Hodisla, you have died a chapel. And all the hard work that you have done, all the great sacrifices we have made to promote Islam, we do tears we left for Muslims to without praying and having uh, given some, someone some help, all of that has to survive. If we die the chapel, it counts for nothing that they have done. So go out and ask, keep on asking, don't let go of your God. Keep on asking what you know and strive to know more and be firm and sincere. And then we die, then ensure the die is mistake. But why does it happen? Because He sells his religion for a little gain of this world. The reason is given by Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He sells his religion for a little worldly benefit. That is why. He knows his religion says, Shut your shops, go to Jumu'ah. Allah has given the call, Surah number 62. When the call is given Jumu'ah, hasten to it. Leave your train. After it, go to your train. No. It's very sharp open. It's very sharp open. And then from that haram earning, he's feeding his family. His family is half being fed, and they don't care for him. It doesn't matter so well. It's only a minor problem. This is the attitude. It's the attitude that's the problem, not the lack of knowledge. So, in the Tayyip mentions, we must acquire five elements. The five elements which make us, inshallah, achieve the true delight. Firstly, He should know what kind of delight he's seeking. What is the true happiness that you are seeking? This kind of delight, what is it? That you had a nice meal, or is it that you had peace with Allah? And he had obtained his protection. What is it that you want? A nice flashy car you want to drive, so you're happy, and then the car had a crash and you're weeping? Oh no, something where you never weep again because of Allah's protection. Firstly, he should know what kind of delight he's seeking. One. Secondly, as we mentioned before, what? So he knows what he wants. He should love it. He really should want, want it. I really desire it. I want it. I want to be a favorite of Allah. I love to be in paradise. I love what he's going to give me in paradise. I love to be in the company of the Messenger Wasallam. I love to be among the Muslims who are sticking to the way of the companions. You must love it. Thirdly, you should know the road to achieve it. There are people, they love Allah 
And we know they want to go to paradise. What do they do? He runs off into a jungle, puts on a sackcloth, and he's sitting there doing bigger. Run over him as possible. That wasn't the way at all. He starts starving himself, becomes a walking skeleton, you know. And sitting in a cave. He's lost for Allah. He has love. He wants to go to paradise. He's not following the way, though. The way is the way for the Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, who taught us to be Muslims. The way is to be responsible people who have families, who marry and have children, who have jobs, who work for themselves, and to take care of their own. They learn everything, so they are strong in this world and happy thereafter. So a Muslim doesn't mean that a religious person is not one he who sits in the mosque doing bicker all the time. A Muslim is he who carries out his responsibility as a father, as a worker, as a boss, as an army leader, and so on. So thirdly, he should know the road to achieve it. Fourthly, he should act upon it. What's the point of knowing not doing anything about it? And fifthly, when you're doing it, what happens? What have you experienced? Sometimes the looting St. Albans. What have you experienced? Pressure, slander, distasteful comments being made about you, the people actually resisting you, throwing up, you know, all sorts of objections, and enemies overnight, you have now become black sheep of this society. If you take it, what do you do? You battle? They give in and you say, oh, I can't take it anymore, I've lost all my friends. I might as well go back to the being of a dog again. Of course not. You mean firm, you have to be patient. That's the fifth one. You should know it, love it, know the road to achieve it, act upon it, and be patient. Where's the evidence? Surah Al-Azr. That's the evidence. By time, marriage and loss, accept those who believe, and do righteous deeds, and recommend each other with the truth, and recommend each other with patience. This is what he must do. Then the Kayin mentions the... I'm going to take him about 10 minutes if I have to be patient. <coughs> he mentions about the reasons why. Why does a Muslim not act then? If we can answer this ourselves, inshallah, we will know what to do about it. Very common sense reasons. They're not, not intellectual, they're not, you don't have to be a scholar to know them. Why don't we do what we know we have to do? Why? Because you're lazy. It's so simple. You're lazy. I know that if I leave it till too late to pray Isha, I'm not going to probably pray to fall or pray in a very fast way, get over and done with, you know. It becomes a drag. Well, in that case, pray early. It is, it is good. It is recommended to pray late, as late as you can. But if praying late means you're going to box it up. Box it up. Well, pray early. You pray properly. This is the way. I know if I have a heavy, heavy meal, I'll get sleepy and tired, and I'm not going to bother you know, doing that Islamic study or praying or something. Well, have a heavy meal afterwards. So first of all, it's a man himself. Because he's lazy, he doesn't feel like it. Perhaps you know that he didn't know. Ah, is this from the Prophet? Is this from the Quran? Is this from the Hadith? Is it what the companions did? Is it what they understood? Ask. Thirdly, because he's a blind follower. He just doesn't ask for evidence, just blindly follows. He follows from what he said before. He's a blind follower. Majority of the Muslims around us are what? Blind followers. Blind. Not that they're not following the correct thing. They end up perhaps doing the right action. But they didn't know it was correct, never asked for the evidence. Never knew the evidence. And Allah has said, follow that which is revealed. You have to know that Allah said so. And the Prophet said so, sallallahu If majority of our blind followers, then how can you expect our situation to be one up in all rosy and nice? And excuse it. Well, I am busy with matters that are more obligatory, you see, than the one you're talking about. I've got to get on with this first and do that later. Why? Ask him why. Ask yourself. Ask myself why. Oh, because that's the way I decided so. You will find no good reason. And fifthly, the most important point is because he leaves 
what is the most important, the action of the heart. He doesn't really seek to purify his heart. He doesn't do the actions of the heart. The zikr, the tawbah, the istighfar, he doesn't do this. That is to him, if you do very nice, he's a holy man, he does it. It's good if you do, it, it doesn't matter if you don't do. But that was the most important thing. And the scholars have said, if he purifies our hearts, then that will go towards developing in the deen and understanding the deen. How can he appreciate that? Look at the Orientalists, the Christian scholars of Islam. They know more about Islam than you and me, the average Muslim anyway, certainly. We have scholars of Tafsir, of Arabic grammar, of Shah of Hadith, of many things among the Christians. But they are still Christians. So what good do you do to them? Knowing so much about Islam? Nothing. Not a penny. Not a penny. So, because the heart is corrupt. But a good Muslim whose heart is trying to purify, is trying to make it clean, he wants to be forgiven by Allah, he learns only one hadith. He practices it. And he practices it out of reverence for the Prophet and obedience to Allah. And that's what he's doing is better. It's better for me to know five hadith, practice that sincerely, than know one other hadith. I can tell you what Bukhari says in volume one, and not do it. What's the point? He might as well be like, almost like a Christian. So it's mentioned to us, but there's an ayah in the Qur'an which says that when we are not sincere, when we ascribe piety to ourselves, self-righteous, and we are not serious, what happens is the wrong thing that we do, it appears to be good things to be done. The wrong things that we do are made to, be, made to seem nice to us. There are the good things to be done, made alluring to us. We start giving excuses, we start justifying, and in the end we take our wrongful ways to be the right ways. We say, I know the Prophet said so, I know the companions did so, but our times have changed, we are in a different situation, this is what we have to do, this is better for us to do. We end up saying it's better for us to do. And Allah says in the Quran, أَفَمَنْ زُيِّنَ لَهُ السُّوءُ الْعَمَلِ فَرَاقُ حَسَنًا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يُذِلُّ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيَهْدِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ Is he then to whom the evil of his conduct is made alluring, so that he looks upon it as good, equal to the one who is rightly guided? How did he say? Who was rightly guided? Prophets were. Who was rightly guided? The companions were. Who have been approved of in the Quran and Sunnah? First generations. In what way do we differ from them? Many ways. We are rightly guided and they are rightly guided as well? No. We have altered, we have changed, we are the ones that taken wrongful ways. Different ways. So let's not justify them if they think they are good. We know the good is what they have. So is he then to whom the evil of his conduct is made alluring so that he looks the point as good, equal to the one who might be guided. So last five minutes, inshallah. Let us look at some of the ayahs mentioned in the Quran. These ayahs are very powerful verses. They hold a promises to the believers. The believers, if they can't even accept the promise of Allah, how can they then try and strive to fulfilling it in their lives? How can they? It is not a shameful thing that we don't know. What is shameful thing is that we don't want to know. We may not know anything, doesn't matter. We will change slowly, slowly, step by step, but surely, step by step. Let's not rush it, it's not a game, it's not a, a tussle between them and us. We want to be Muslims step by step, with the right priorities. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran, وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةُ وَلِلَّسُولِهِ وَالْمُؤْمِنِينَ We mentioned this, remember it, going back again, remember this. The honor, the might belongs to Allah, His Rasul and the believers, and we haven't got it at the time being. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يُدَافِعُوا عَنِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Verily Allah protects those who are believers. Do you really think, if we have the protection of Allah, we can be defeated? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِيُّ حَسْبُكَ اللَّهَ وَمَنْ تَبَعَكَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ O Prophet, 
sufficient for you is Allah and also for those who follow you. Is Allah sufficient for us in our life? Doesn't seem to be. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Wallahu aliwul mu'mineen. Allah is the supporter of the believers. Do you really think if Allah supports the believers, a people, any people, that people can be defeated? If Allah is on our side, which Jew, which Christian, which Hindu, which Muslim is going to defeat us? Oh, who can come into our country and take one man? If we, Allah is on our side. Allah has said, وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَعْمَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ The ma'ayya of Allah, witness, that Allah is with the believers. If we are believers, we are experiencing Allah's witness with us. Because they are walking all over us and we are falling head over heels and trying to be as corrupt as we can. Cheating and lying and deceiving to anything you mention. Eating haram and doing things haram and not doing the wajib and neglecting it and all. Where is this witness of Allah? Let's, let's remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, إِنَّا لَنَنْصُرُوا رُسُولَنَا وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْحَيْدِ الدُّنْيَا وَيَوْمَ يَقُومُ الْأَشْهَادِ We will be giving victory, provide victory to our messenger and those who believe in this life of the world, بِالْحَيْدِ الدُّنْيَا In the hayat of this world, in this world. It's a promise. Let's at the very first step take the promise and say, we will be victorious and we know the road to it. And when the witnesses appear, in front of Allah the Day of Judgment. We finish with this last ayah from Ali Imran, the third surah. We are told, وَلَا تَهِلُوا وَلَا تَهَزَنُوا وَأَنْتُمُ الْعَالَوْنَ إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ Do not feel weakened and do not be sad. Do not be saddened because you are uppermost if you are believers. And what can you say? The believers think he's suppressed and oppressed because he thinks he's meant to suffer in this world. That is wrong. We are oppressed and suppressed because we are not fulfilling the conditions of Iman, the conditions of the Kalima. We are not fulfilling the conditions of the Kalima. We are not really developing love for the Prophet We don't really take heart from the promises of Allah. It doesn't matter how much we know, how little we know, we have to start with the right attitude, that is all, and then victory is for us, waiting for us to take it. We are the Muslims, we will vanquish. They will conquer the whole world, we will implement the Sharia, and we will show the enemies of Allah where they stand against those who have taken the words of Allah seriously. He truly died a kafir, you know, without any justification. He'll never come out of Al-Fatihah. 
But the believer gets comes out of hell by eventually here. He may enter for a period, could be long, could be short. The believer who has believed in Muhammad وسلم, adored him and respected him and tried to follow his sunnah, he will be and lived on Tawheed. One believer on Tawheed would be interceded for, Shafa'a will be done by the Messenger وسلم, in the day of judgment for those believers who have gone to hell by to take him out of the there at all. The believers may or may not enter hellfire, but you know, eventually he will definitely come out. Hadith is Sahih Muslim. Last person to come out from hellfire and so on. And the Hadith will also mention, you know, who has an atom's weight, you know, who must have seen Kardal, must have seen worth of, worth of faith, will be taken out of hellfire. This faith is the Iman in Allah as a Muslim. Not Iman in Allah as a Hindu, obviously. So, what about that? I think he will also reference it. Inshallah, we did a talk several months ago on invalidation of actions. Remember, invalidation of actions. We mentioned that the believers are the ones who go to paradise, and these believers don't. And we gave you the proofs.